Welcome to Disrupt Disruption, a series of intimate interviews with global thought leaders and practitioners operating at the intersection of business, leadership and technology. We're discussing all things innovation and disruption and how to not only survive but thrive in these times of exponentially accelerating change. Trusted by CEOs, founders and leaders globally for the latest take on business models, methods, culture and leadership, we cut to the chase, debunk the hype and get real. You're in great company. I'm your host, Pascal Finette, co-founder of Be Radical. Hey, everybody, this is Pascal. We are back with Disrupt Disruption. I am stoked, and I'm allowed to say this, I used to live in California, uh, to have David Siegel here. He's the CEO of Meetup. Meetup is, of course, the largest platform for finding and building local community. I am pretty sure you all have used Meetup in the past. He's got a huge and long career in technology and digital media, was formerly the CEO of Investi uh, Investopedia. That's a hard word. Invest the president of Seeking Alpha. Um, he published, just published a book, which I highly recommend. It's called Decide and Conquer 44 Decisions That Will Make or Break All Leaders. And of course, we'll put a link to that book into the show notes. Um, he's also a host on the podcast, a podcast, Keep Connected, where he talks about the power of community, not surprisingly, as it is Meetup. Uh, David, I'm super stoked to have you here. You're, if you're stoked, then I'm going to have to tell my, you know, Southern California-ness and say like, what's up, dude? I love it. <laughs> I mean, let's dig into it. We want to talk about leadership, about innovation and disruption. And um, probably as a as a starting point, um, and this is a baseball, we talked about this before we hit the record button. Um, we talked about Meetup and Meetup being a community, a platform, which of course facilitates predominantly in-person meetings. We are at the tail end, hopefully, fingers crossed, of a global pandemic which made us not meet in person for, you know, a good two years. How did you manage this? Talking about disruption, if there is a disruption to a business model which is based on the idea we bring people physically. Yes, if you're a company and all about IRL in real life, at some point in time, we started seeing in late February 2000, like 95% of our events just get canceled overnight in China. We're like, oh, something's going on. Uh, it's like SARS or swine, just going to, you know, stay in the Far East. We don't need to worry about, you know, the United States because we're in 193 countries and meet up. And then we start seeing, hmm, in Italy, what's going on there? Somehow everything's getting canceled in Italy. Everything, you know, everything's getting canceled in Western Europe. And then, you know, early March... Before we knew it, the pandemic struck. And then it was a real existential crisis for us at Meetup because the number one reason why we had rejected Meetup organizers was because they only wanted to create groups that were online only. Mm -hmm. And we were all about IRL. So I got our entire company together and I said, okay, what is our mission? Is our mission IRL or is our mission about keeping people connected? Mm -hmm. Is about clearly keeping people connected in community. And oh, by the way, during the pandemic, people need connections more than anything else. So we didn't allow for online events. We didn't have the technology for online events. We had our engineers stop everything that they were doing. In three days, we launched an MVP where we just hacked our way into enabling online events because we hadn't had that capability before. Since that time, in two plus years, we've had now over five online events on the Meetup platform. Jeez. Over 30 million people, 190 pe countries have participated in online events. And I'm happy to say that as of late April, early May, 
the percentage online of IRL is now at 77.8% at Meetup. So we still have 22% that's online. And, you know, that online is great. It's actually one of these perfect examples where, you know, disruption and innovation happens sometimes out of necessity and ends up being the best thing that could have happened to our company. So and we never would have done it if not for the pandemic. You said something which triggered an, a thought for me, which is we talk a lot about uh, companies, the necessity companies to having the North Star. And then um, in our work, we talk a lot about the transition from the old way of like, you got your strategy right, and then you execute it against your strategy, the five-year plan. And the world really is about getting the North Star right and then doing what uh, a friend of mine calls the drunken walk. <laughs> and I'm curious, um, a little more like from a leadership's perspective, it sounded, you, it sounded like you had to not necessarily find your North Star, like clearly it was there, but there was a process of unearthing that. Yeah, so we clearly always knew our North Star. Our North Star is our mission, and our mission is all about helping people to be connected and building community. That, that has always been the case. But the strategy of how to go about mm -hmm. doing that, that's where you're stumbling like a drunken person. Mm -hmm. And I think, too, what, what leaders do is they get hellbent on like the strategy or too focused on the tactics and don't understand like the big picture of what you're actually trying to accomplish. And they get stuck. They get stuck in kind of the ways of having done things. And so many of our employees had said, we're, you know, we're about in person and we don't want to be like Facebook. We don't want, we use technology to get people off of technology. But as a leader, you have to kind of take a step back and you have to say, okay, are they saying these things because that's what we've always done? Or are they saying these things because truly that's what Meetup really needs? And I think people's inclinations to kind of have status quo bias, shall we say, and be fe feared of the unknown because it's the unknown, even if the current situation is bad, is just enormous. And a leader's job is to say, okay, I'm willing to be on an island here. I'm going to kind of take responsibility for moving us in a different direction. You know, please, let's figure out how we could figure out a way to test that. And that's what we did. How do you manage the tension which comes up there? You mm. talked already, you, you alluded a little bit to like the tension you might have there. And again, like it's the theme we hear over and over and over again. And he does seem to be better at managing. How did you, how did you go about that? So it's a mom. Earlier in my career, one of my biggest um, lack of capabilities is that I needed to be loved by everyone. Mm. I wanted everyone to like me. And even if that meant not making the right decision, I cared more about what people's perspectives of me were. And the problem with that is that you could tend to then lead by democracy, which is mm. not necessarily even the best form of government, but the best form of, of course, what Winston Churchill said about democracy, the best form of government besides every other form of government. Uh, but it certainly is not the best way to run a company. I think as you mature as a leader, you become more comfortable with tension and you basically embrace tension. You say tension is not a bad thing. Tension is an inevitable result of having humans that work with you, and they're going to have differences of opinion. Just because there's tension doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't proceed. It means that you should give better context. It means you should explain the why. But at the end of the day, as a leader, you need to make that decision. And it's okay as a leader to be on an island and to explain yourself of why you're doing something. Not just be an island, not explain, but give the background of why. And to be comfortable that that's the right position moving forward. Even if a small minority of people feel it's the right thing to do, it oftentimes can be the right thing to do. And don't be uncomfortable taking that. Interesting. So how do you, I'm curious, in, in, in your particular case, did you have, after push towards, we move from in the world, the virtual world, 
um, maybe deliver our mission? Was there a pullback? The, uh, you know, we see this a little bit like in the pandemic world where some of the leaders who went into like a forced remote environment, uh, now everybody has to be back in the office. Like we've, like we've done this experiment. It's, you know, like we're done with it. I'm curious, do you, do you feel that, that pullback in, inside of the organization? And how do you manage, again, like, yeah. how do you position yourself for the future? Yeah, so, so in terms of Meetup as a business, there was tension in the beginning, but it was proven out that Meetup would no longer exist as a company mm-hmm. if we had not pivoted, straight up. And people who were against that move understand that right now, they, you know, originally people thought the, the, the pandemic would be a month, two months. People didn't realize. Clearly, in hindsight, it was the right decision. So I think step number one is what we try to do is after making a decision, we bring in as many customer experiences as we possibly can and communicate that to the rest of the company. So, for example, when there's a meetup organizer and a meetup organizer runs an ecstatic dance meetup group in, in Kansas City and there were five or six people that would show up in person. And now there's like 50 to 100 people that are doing an ecstatic dance globally throughout the world in, in her group. You have, we organize her, come to meet up meet with employees, tell employees about it. Mm. And that's just a powerful story and a powerful experience. When there's a person who said, you know, I'm from Montreal and in Montreal, my ch- my, a child of mine has ADHD, but there's no parents of ADHD meetup group. But I was able to find a meetup, virtual meetup group in New York of parents of ADHD kids. And that's like changed my life and really helped me out. The key is you bring those stories to people and storytelling is just so powerful. And when people hear those stories, they're like, wow, clearly this is helping so many different people. I'm so glad that we ultimately made that decision to pivot our mission. You know, I'm obsessed with Lean Startup. I'm sure you are as well. But one of the most important things in business, frankly, is pivoting. And we do something very intentionally at Meetup. We have a basically a pivot meeting once a month among our leadership team where we get together as a retro and we basically, what do we need to change that we're doing right now? Mm-hmm. What mistakes are we making? How do we need to take a completely different perspective? We basically normalize pivoting and change as much as possible so that people are as comfortable bringing up suggestions as they can. So we, we create process around these things. How do you balance the, again, I guess another tent between that culture? So the like turning on a dime, being super flexible and the... I guess necessity to like steer course, you know, sometimes like stick th- like through it and, you know, like stay on the course, even if the initial or the data doesn't support, you know, like your, your initially charted course. I love it. So that happens all the time in product. So for example, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll launch a, a new design, like on our website, right? And it's a new design and we launch and then we launch and, and, and the result of it is that there's 5% fewer RSVPs to people because of that launch. And people will say, we want to wave the white flag and say, we failed. Let's revert, revert, revert. Let's go back. Whereas when you look at the experience, just look at it. You're like, this is such a better experience for users. The reason why it went down is likely because our users weren't used to this experience. So our job is not to revert and to go back to the way things were. Our job is to iterate and to figure out how that negative 5% can turn to negative 3%, to negative 1%, and then ideally positive 1%, positive 3%, et cetera. So it's about, really for me, the way to lower tension is data. Hmm. Using data 
as the basis for decision-making and understanding that there's no negative to seeing a kind of a, a initial negative experience. Down 50%, that's one thing. Okay, different story. But if you're down because you replatformed or you did something, your job is now iterate, 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 and you will get better and you will improve. And just having that confidence that that will likely happen. And not, you know, too often people worry about the negative implications of failing. In reality, failing is an opportunity to learn. And failing once doesn't mean you're going to fail the second and third time. You're just going to get smarter and smarter and smarter. So just have that perspective and everything kind of gets better. And I think it comes from leadership. If leadership says, what the hell are you doing? How can you get this 5% decrease after we spent the last three months on this whole replatform? What, what's going on? You know, that's one thing. Or if leadership says, I expected that. And that's okay. Mm. Now, because it's a lot easier to work off of, let's now iterate and we could and we can make changes faster. That's a different approach. In this context, are you differentiating between kind of like the core product and the experience and maybe uh, like uh, the, the terms be edge, like the explorative side, you know, the proverb, the labs, you know? I, I'm curious, yeah, okay. are you, are you concerned? So that's a very good point. That's an excellent point. Okay. So when you're trying to make changes to your core that are dramatic, there is always risk there. And you always have to do 5%, 10%, 50%, etc. to see, you know, in terms of uh, split testing mm -hmm. to see what happens. But any company that's not also at the edge trying to find ways of just doing something completely different and completely better is never going to like have, you know, exponential type growth. Mm -hmm. And the goal of many leaders, including myself, is not just grow by single digits. It's how do we unlock this enormous exponential type growth And sometimes you stub your toe and we've done that. Oh my God, have we done that at Meetup, including getting bad press for something and having things like blow up in our, but that's okay again, because it's all like important learning experiences. So I would say, yes, per your point, you need to do both, but you need to be much more careful when it comes to making, you know, massive changes to your core. In that regard, I mean, you're enlightened and passionate leader, um, How does how do you translate this into the into your organization, into your lieutenants, the people who yeah. work with you? Okay. So number one is I am a deep believer in embedding your core values into everything that you do. Now, a lot of times people have values, all companies have values. They put up on them on a wall and they forget about them. And the problem with values is it's been so sullied because people just kind of roll their eyes at like what your values are. So one of our values is called invite change. Not accept change, not kind of deal with change, you know, willingly. It's like embrace change, invite change, proactively you want change. So what we do in our values is our values are part of our recruiting process. We evaluate people on our value, a part of our promotion process. They're part of our performance review process. They're part of our 360 degree feedback process. They're part of our employee feedback survey process. So everything comes down to our, so when you have those anchors or those specific values, embedded throughout every single time, constantly employees are seeing them and all the ways in which we reward employees, et cetera, then it becomes far more embedded. The other thing that we do is, you know, if someone makes a mistake, for example, I will ask the person permission, of course, first, but I'll call it out to everyone and I'll thank them for making that mistake and, 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 and helping us to understand and to grow as a company. And that's like a really important thing. Because it becomes, again, part of the culture and becomes normative. So the advice to give people is you can't just say one thing and act differently. If you say, oh, make lots of risks, take lots of risks, we want to learn, we want to grow, and then suddenly a mistake is made because you're trying to grow too fast and you, you, know, you berate that person, God forbid, or you, or, you, or, you, or you let the person go, well, 
that, that's not a way to lead. So everything has to be consistent, you know, from that perspective. How do you shield the team in that consistent approach from like the outside world? Um, you know, like be it investors, be it a corporate mother or father, be it a public market, because there is a lot of pressure on you. Yeah. Okay. So we used to be owned by WeWork, which some people know and some people don't know. The funny thing about being owned by um, was that there was a tremendous amount of tension between Meetup, which is very focused on kind of creating amazing experiences for our members. WeWork was really focused on growth, 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 growth. Mm -hmm. And I put a tremendous amount of time and energy um, essentially having Meetup be as separate as possible hmm. and not as impacted by WeWork. So for example, at one point WeWork said, we, you know, we don't, why should Meetup have its own values? WeWork, you should just use WeWork's values. Like, no, it doesn't work that way. Or at one point I met with Adam Newman right when I started and I said, Adam, we need to put the oxygen mask on Meetup. I don't want Meetup's entire role to be about supporting WeWork and the corporate parent. Give me three months and just give me space. And over those three months, I just need to have time to be able to figure out what the company's strategy is, get my hands dirty, and then we'll be able to spend time figuring out how we can work together. So a lot of it is actually asking a corporate parent for space, mm -hmm. as opposed to thinking that like your entire job is to you know, serve the needs of the corporate parent. So sometimes with investors or with a board, It's really sitting with the board and saying, okay, we, I need to make sure that our, we're aligned here. Is our focus on growth? Is our focus on profit? Is our focus on you know, customer experience? Let's align ourselves because the biggest issue oftentimes with a CEO or leadership team in the board is just gross misalignment. And if you don't have misalignment, you have tremendous amounts of tension. So you got to get the alignment right, I would say, as like kind of priority number one with, with boards and with corporate parents, et cetera. A meetup and, and your history company is 20 years old. I mean, it still feels like it's, you know, it's a baby in the, like, in the world and it's like, it's, it's, it's predominant position, but it is an old company. And uh, clearly also in a space where, you know, anyone who, who follows your space, even tangentially knows that people coming, there's people to like, you know, on the, uh, the, the giant. Uh, I'm curious in, in this space, like innovation and disruption and like staying relevant. And um, I learned this term from our friends over at Sats. They talk about sustainable relevance. Mm. Um, clearly something Electronic Arts has mastered as a company. Clearly something you have mastered as a company. What is what is the, the gut yours, uh in? How do you stay relevant for such a long time in a market which is moving super fast and where the next YC grad clearly also said like, oh, we're going to unthrone these guys. Like they're like, they're dead, they're old, etc." I love it. Okay, great. So give you an example of that. So our 20th anniversary is actually on June 14th, 2022. So very soon we're having a huge party, having our founders going to speak. It's going to be, it's going to be great. It's actually the same day as Donald Trump's birthday. That will not be what the party is for. But that, and, and it's just re yesterday, Barack Obama was being interviewed. And Barack Obama said, as part of his memoir, his booking tour, et cetera, and he said, there are three companies that had an enormous impact on Meetup. And I know I'm dating myself right now, uh, excuse me, on my presidency. He said, MySpace and Meetup and Facebook. Anytime that you're associated with MySpace, you don't want that. Yeah. Like, you don't want your technology to be associated with MySpace. But that's okay. We thank Barack Obama for giving us lots of press and talking about how Meetup impacted his, his becoming president, which actually did, by the way. So the question then is, how do you maintain it? So for us, I think there's kind of a duality that's an interesting one, which is on the one hand, we need to be 
We need to represent what we have always represented and not try to just shift to the tides of people saying, you know, whatever it is. So we have always been about in person and driving in person. And when the pandemic hit, there were some board members even who said, you should completely shift your strategy and everything should be about online and get rid of this in-person thing because no one's doing that thing anymore. And that's just dead. I hope not for the world's sake, by the way. And, And I think you have to, on the one hand, stay true to what your mission is and has always been. But on the other side, you need to also understand and not be so myopic in saying, we are only going to keep doing things the way we've always been doing them because we know we're going to get unseated. So an example of making a, a change like that is one of the areas that we've been doing a lot, putting a lot of time and effort in is we have 330,000 meetup organizers, helping those meetup organizers to actually um, make money as part of being a meetup, mm-hmm. uh, you know, facilitating people, individuals to be able um, donate to the meetup organizer or the meetup organizer. If they're organizing a kayaking group that they get special discounts that they could provide and they get a percentage for, for affiliates, you know, those kinds of things. So, so, so we not changing fundamentally the business model, but what we are doing is we're saying, how can we make it easier to become an organizer? How can we lower the cost of organizing? How can we make it easier for a member to find the right group for them? So just as long as you're staying as close to the customer as possible, you're going to be innovating in ways that that are really important. If you're not close to the customer, you're dead. So we just are constantly listening to ways in which and feedback from our customers. So for example, our our organizers have said to us, hey, you have this app and it's a great app, but the problem with the app is that it's the same app for members and for organizers. And we want our own separate app. Uber drivers have a separate app than Uber passengers like us. We want a separate app. And with that app, we're then going to be have as much functionality as we could do on, the, on, on desktop and other ways. So we're actually just rolled out a new organizer app. Hmm. And our organizers, and we could have rolled, and of course, there's bugs and there's little issues and there's little things. Of course, you could say, oh, no, what happened? So we're just iterating and making it better and better and better. So the key is just listening to your customers. Good things happen when you do that. How do you think about your industry at large in terms of its change? Like if you look into the future... Um, it feels to me there's industries where you have actual disruption, where there's like a, a, a rupture in the way things have been really shifts. Um, uh, I was part of a team which built eBay way back when, uh, in like the 2000s. And there was a rupture in the way people wanted to shop online when Amazon came along and basically did the, the, the everything store. And people said like, why do I do this auction thing? When I can have it like one click and it gets shipped to my house. There was, we at eBay, I mean, you know, like this was, uh, uh, post dates me, luckily, <laughs> but like eBay couldn't react to it. And mm-hmm. I'm curious, and then you've got other industries where you can make a strong argument that the way someone wants to, something to be done, and I'm thinking about like home video, for example, right? Like uh, Blockbuster isn't actually all that different to Netflix streaming. It's still about you sitting in your home watching a movie. Right, it's just the way the movie comes to you is different. Mm-hmm. I, it, when you look into the future of of your industry, uh, do you think there's rupture happening, or is it much more of you know like the sustainable innovation, the the no, taking customer model? I, I think there's rupture that's happening, and it's okay. going to happen even more aggressively. And that's the meta. Um, I think as more and more people start using AR, start using 
um, other ways in which they could kind of interact with people mm-hmm. digitally, but it's actually as low as the, they're, they're in person. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that will fundamentally change human interactions. And because that will change human interactions, it'll, it'll fundamentally change kind of what communities look like. And people could feel connected in the metaverse to someone, you know, on the other side of the world at a different time zone and different everything, just as much as they're connected to their next door neighbors. So what does that mean for Meetup? So that means for us is we can't just say we're only about in person. We can't just say we're only in person. We can't only online. We have to find out what does that mean for our role in the metaverse? What does that mean for having Meetup communities as part of that? Who do we need to partner with in order to leverage that technology so that we're early adopters within the metaverse and not just to say like, oh, that's all technology. It's all evil. We don't want to be a part of it, but we have to be practical. If that's where people are going, then we need to help them and we need to support them there and not just say, you know, we're against that. We're, we're, because, because saying we're against that means we're against connection, connecting. Mm. And that just doesn't make any sense. Do you have a sense of the timeline you're looking at? Because I think that's the million, billion dollar question, right? It's like, I mean, there's people who are saying, I want you to be in the metaverse tomorrow. And then there's other people who say, uh, you know, I just uh, saw Kevin Kelly at a, at a conference. We talked about the metaverse and he's basically, well, looking it very much to the very early internet. And it's like, you know, it's maybe like 10 years until we really like immerse ourselves in this thing. I'm, I'm curious, like, what is your gut feeling as, as someone yeah, yeah, I mean, my really take has is, thought about it? Yeah, there's going to be a very, very, very different level of adoption for people that are Gen Zers versus people mm-hmm. that, are, you know, Gen Xers like me. Mm-hmm. And certainly baby boomers or whatever are not going to adopt it probably barely at all, except for to see their grandchildren or whatever. Mm-hmm. So so I think for people that are like me, that are, let's say, Gen Xers or maybe older millennials, it's going to probably be in that five to 10 year range. Mm-hmm. And and we're not going to see significant decreases you know, by that age range. It's just kind of the way that technology tends to evolve. Mm-hmm. However, for people that are in their teenage years, and they're growing like my 15-year-old and that, you know, you know, so many teachers, you know, really attached to their phones and living through their phones and in, in many, unfortunately, unhealthy ways. You know, that's that's how people engage. I think it's going to happen much faster, much earlier. And there's going to be one, two, three different companies. They're going to end up like really succeeding and getting driving exponential growth. Mm-hmm. And our job at Meetup, we're not that company that's going to be leading the metaverse. That's not going to happen. But we can be that company that is the leader of community within the within the metaverse as well, and we def- and we can be that company. and And our job is to build relationships with the the leaders in those fields, so that we're close to what's happening. And if they're beta kind of testing opportunities to partner with companies like ours to be part of those betas. Gotcha. Interesting. And it goes back to the argument you made earlier about trying things, afraid to fail, learn, iterate quickly, et cetera. Um, David, I'm curious, as in a conversation really far ranging, I love it. Um, you also decided to write a book about deciding and conquering. I decided on a book about decision making. What do exactly. you know? What a decision. I'm curious in this conversation we just had if. Um, there is uh, a younger version of David or a version of David who is coming to you who might be even older than you, but just curious about how do I lead and how do I decide and how up as a leader in this world? Yeah. Um, what is the high level takeaways for you? What is the, like, where's the starting point for you for that journey for these people? Yeah, I mean, 
In the book, I talk about a number of different principles that are really critical to decision making. I'll just talk about one now. If you want me to have another one, I can certainly later on. But but the number one for me is that making decisions that engender and drive trust is the most important thing. And the best way to build trust is through transparency. As a leader, it is so critical, and especially with younger millennial and Gen Zers, to have everything be as open as possible. All of our financials are shared with the entire company. When we're traveling, everyone sees and knows what's going on. If there's a challenge or a bug, we all share it. We have employee listening sessions. We have manager listening sessions. We have all hands meetings, not once a quarter, but every other week we have all hands meetings, you know, keep everyone apprised of, of what's happening in the company. So building trust as a leader and making decisions that will drive trust is critical. What does that mean, making decisions that drive trust? So it means sometimes making decisions that are uncomfortable, but being clear that you're making the decision, why you're doing it, and what you expect to see the results of it. And if you fail, like we talked about mistakes and failures, owning up to it and saying, hey, I made a decision and it was actually the wrong one. And I want to own up to having made that wrong decision. Ultimately, you build trust that way by being open and honest about you know what the results are of your decision. How do you deal... By the way, I absolutely love this. Uh, you know, I, I was in the world of Mozilla where I was part of that team. Doors, everything open, yes. everything in the open. Yes. Um, which... I adore and I think is the right principle, but it also comes with an interesting cost, right? There is a uh, matter, uh, we saw, yes. you know, Facebook um, having tons of stuff leaking, essentially shutting down on it. Uh, Google, remember uh, when I was at Google, we did TGIF and, you know, like Larry and Sergey still like basically spilled the beans about the company and then that stuff leaked and then TGIF now is, from what I hear, by far not as open anymore. Uh, how do you find the balance there? So first of all, it's a lot easier to be a 100-person company than a 5,000-person company from that perspective. That's number one. Number two is there are many times that I share things that our HR team or our legal team is like, David, I can't believe you shared that. And that's okay because their job, again, we talked about tension earlier. You want to have a healthy tension. You want to listen and respect everything that people say. But it's okay to have a little bit of a healthy tension because that means you're trying to, you know, one of our, one of our values is trust and transparency. So again, we've made that as, as a, a true value. So have I shared things at Meetup and it made its way into the press? No, that has not happened yet. Mm. But we have shared things at Meetup and we'll see them on Glassdoor mm. or we'll see them on Blonde, you know, another you know, employee you know, apps. And yeah, it's a little frustrating. But you know what? I think the reaction for me is just because there's one person who may be toxic employee or wants to do harm, right. that doesn't mean that the other 99 employees should suffer. We need to, in theory, manage effectively. And, and if there's a person who truly is not looking at the company's best interest and, and is no matter how capable that person happens to be, then we need to ask that person to leave. Again, you don't necessarily know who that person is, but- it's very important to have your ears and eyes out there for any toxic employees that are creating kind of negativity in an organization, no matter how strong that person is. But I, I hate to make everyone suffer because of what really is usually the actions of one or two people. And it's always that case. It's yeah. always actions of one or two people. And you shouldn't make employee decisions just because one or two people, again, if you, you, if you, if something's lacks integrity, then you should. But if, if, if one person, 
doesn't agree with a certain perspective, but many, many people think it's the right thing to do. Again, it depends on the situation, but it is very important not to just go down to the lowest common denominator and be as boring as possible and not really do anything because of what someone could perceive. Let me dig into this for one second. And probably as a, as a ranting, really interesting in, in uh, on one hand, um, there is the beauty of like openness, transparency, everybody's voice is being heard. And then you just made an interesting comment, which is very much what we talked about at Mozilla all the time, where we talked about Mozilla is not a democracy, it's a meritocracy. Really like had a hard time wrapping the heads around. Um, but I, I, I personally fundamentally believe that you have to have these opinion leaders, these experts who basically guide, otherwise you get to this, the, the lowest common denominator in decision-making. How do you, in, again, like in, in, in decision-making matrices, et cetera, how do you ensure you hear everybody, but then also move forward with a bold decision and not a watered down, is it? I love it. I love it. Okay. So it really does come down to process and infrastructure. What do I mean by that? So if we have a major decision we're going to make, I will host multiple, not just one, if someone can't make a time, listening sessions. And I'll invite as many employees that want to come mm -hmm. to a listening session say, okay, we're thinking of changing our business model about XYZ, or we're thinking about moving our office to a different location, whatever a kind of a big decision that could affect employees happens to be. And we'll do a listening session and we'll do another one and another one. And if you know what, if we do three or four listening sessions, and employee doesn't show up to any of them, then they don't have a right to complain or be frustrated because we've, we've opened ourselves up to that. And if they do have feedback, just like if customers have feedback, then we need to listen to it, we need to understand it, and then we need to go back. And, and, and oftentimes, the reason why there's a lot of tension between management or employees is because there's a misunderstanding of certain assumptions by one group or the other, not just misunderstanding by employees, could be misunderstanding by managers, and it could just be a false assumption. Oh, I was assuming that XYZ was the case. Well, and then they come off, you know, and an individual will then say, and that's why I'm against this. Oh, I didn't realize. So by having these listening sessions, it kind of drives alignment. And we also, by the way, besides doing listening sessions, we have tons of employee surveys and get feedback. And what's great is we have this technology, it's not advanced or anything like that, that allows us to get confidential feedback. We don't know who the person is that's giving us the feedback, but we're actually able, I'll repeat that, we don't know who the person is, just in case it buzzed there. We don't know who the person is that's giving us feedback. We're actually able to respond back to the person hmm. without knowing who that person is. Mm -hmm. which is so valuable because then people feel comfortable sharing feedback. We're able to then respond back to it, but there's no negative perception about the fact that they had asked those questions in the first place. So that, that as an infrastructure helps a lot, a lot too. David, I could continue this conversation literally for the next like hours and hours. I know that you have a job to get to. It's also a weekend. I hope you've got uh, good plans for the, uh, maybe something which was organized on meetup. Uh, that yes. being said, um, I love this conversation. I love the, the, the range of insights we, we sussed out on leadership and how you show up and the necessity to try things out. I loved your very pragmatic advice on um, failure uh, because I still think it's such a stigmatized and mystical thing for people to. So I love the, the approach. Um, for everybody who's listening, I really highly recommend reading the book, Decide and Conquer. You'll find we'll also put a, a link into the show note. Um, David, thank you so much. This was awesome. I loved it too. Thank you. Hey, it's Pascal. Thanks for tuning in on this episode of Disrupt Disruption. 
If you want more, check out the other episodes we have on this podcast. And if you liked it, do us a favor. Go on your podcasting platform of choice, iTunes, Google Play, whatever it is, and leave a quick review. It helps tremendously with getting the insights from our guests out into the world. If you have any questions, send me an email. You can reach me at pascal at finet.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I will hear you here soon.